Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and today I am really excited to dig in on how to beat Facebook with better architecture. I have two guests today. One is a return guest, Rachel Barge, who's the founder and growth marketer at LeapGrow, and Kevin Oki, who is the founder and growth marketer at Wyvern9. So uh, thank you both for joining here. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. I'm always excited to have Rachel on. And she said, got to have Kevin on here as well to talk about this topic. So what we're going to dig into is paid advertising campaign architecture, which is something that's relevant for all channels. We'll probably talk a a bunch about thinking about it in the context of Facebook. And Rachel reached out and talked through how her and Kevin have this unique method for approaching Facebook campaign setup and ad campaign setup, and it consistently outperforms the Facebook algorithm and market leaders in Facebook ads. So I'll stop there. That's my quick intro. Why don't you folks introduce yourselves and then we'll go dive in. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. I'm Kevin. I'm the founder and growth market over at Wyvern 9, and I'm a paid acquisition specialist. I've been consulting now for about six years, and I had the great, wonderful fortune a few years ago of coming aboard with Rachel. We've been working on startups together ever since on almost every project that we take. We tend to pair on them, and so we've been crushing it over in Facebook, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. We have the privilege of getting dropped into these increasingly large Facebook accounts. We've been starting, we were doing $100,000 a month types of spends, and now we're doing, you know, a million, a million and a half a month just in Facebook. And so we have the opportunity to drop in and sort of get a snapshot of what's happening in these accounts. Usually we're brought in because something's going wrong. Either the company has big performance issues that they need resolved, or they just don't really know where to go. And so Kevin is like the yin to my yang. We've had so much fun overhauling these big accounts over the years. And we're sort of excited to bring people behind the scenes on like, what do we do when we get in there? And and how do we turn things around? And what is the specific philosophy that we bring that really has enabled us to drive incredible performance, sort of regardless of, of product category, whether that's telehealth or fintech or e-commerce, uh, et cetera. Awesome. And I'm excited to learn throughout this whole podcast. So the way that Facebook ads work today, the way that I understand it is most people put all their money into an account and Facebook's got an algorithm that optimizes where the money is going to be spent. And at the same time, while that's happening, everyone who is putting their money into Facebook ads are thinking about how do I get more out of this spend? And you two do this very consistently where you beat that system. And so why don't you walk me through the current state of things, and then we'll dig into your philosophy and how you approach it. And then we'll talk about for listeners that are tuned in, how they can actually do this in their own accounts. Great. Yeah. It's Facebook is a really interesting system to work in. Almost every single client we work with is advertising significantly on Facebook. It's often the biggest channel that they're using in terms of paid acquisition channels, maybe on par with paid search. And I think the hardest thing about Facebook advertising is that there's really no one right way to do it. You can't major in Facebook advertising in school. There aren't like big education courses dedicated to what you're supposed to do. And so it's really common that we find that people are sort of in the dark and searching for ways to figure out what they should do in there. It's a miraculous system. It pipes you to hundreds of millions of Americans in an instant on like any device that they're on. It has the best tracking 
and sort of ability to detect who a real person is. And we find that it's it's really the most powerful advertising tool that I, I work with. But knowing what to do and knowing how to operate it is a whole other story. And the, the thing that we hear from Facebook is that they want you to push all of the spend into a very consolidated structure. And they, they would really prefer it if you just sort of put in your bank account number, shovel some money into the into the account, let the algorithm do all the work and walk away. And we just find that that's not the best way to get great outcomes. And so we have a different approach. And I think it'd be cool to maybe talk about what are like the common problems that we see when we walk into an account? What are like the myths that people are operating into? And then sort of what do we do instead? Let's do it. So what are those myths? Or what are the problems? Yeah, so I'm thinking about some recent accounts that Rachel and I have, where we've taken over user acquisition. And we come in and, and companies have these entrenched philosophies. You know, it, it can be paid advertising just doesn't work for us. Certainly there are companies who have failed at it previously and have that belief. I've come in and had companies say remarketing just doesn't work for us no matter what. You know, it just wholesale doesn't work. Lookalike audiences don't work on Facebook. We can't drive any performance out of lookalike audiences. And time after time, almost without exception, I find coming in that we can bring to bear better structure within the account and we can test these segments and they invariably drive performance and people are shocked. So why don't you talk about what do you do instead? Like, what is the approach? So you're saying that we have this system that wants you to just like pour all the money in and, and walk away. What is the approach that you take instead? So one example of this that we came across, you know, in the last year was a company that when we really got into their account, we saw that they were really only advertising to like a small fraction of the total audience they could possibly try to target for their product and kind of had confusing targeting like they were spending the majority of their budget against the hip hop interest audience. And we're just like, why is that your biggest audience that you're going after? When we looked at their approach for how they operated the the account, their main lever was just throwing a ton of creative at the account on a really, really frequent basis and just hoping that like they would just have a hit ad kind of happening in it. And when we looked at sort of the way things were named and how things were organized, it was a bit of a mess. And I think that this is really common when you've had an account that's been run for a long time that a lot of people are contributing to, and you kind of get to a place where it just becomes so unwieldy. And so we really try to come in and sort of clean house and bring a really fresh take and bring sort of a a reset to the account. And I think that's where we can sort of talk about how our philosophy is different. Either people are doing a consolidated approach where they just have really, really big audiences and they're putting spend through it with not a lot of detail under the hood, or they're kind of living in a world where they just launch a lot of like, they just throw spaghetti at the wall over and over and over again without a lot of rigor to what's in that spaghetti. And we just find that those are generally the two most common things that folks are doing. And so we sort of have a third way that you can approach Facebook advertising that gives you a lot of control and a lot of data and kind of helps illuminate a path forward. Rachel's exactly right. It's out of that sort of poor consolidated structure where it's, we only convert when we advertise to hip hop, you know, hip hop listeners or to these extremely broad audiences and just let the algorithm do the work. That's how you, you wind up with situations where people don't believe that lookalike audiences work, don't believe that remarketing works for their particular product or their company. And so, yeah, a lot of our job is sort of coming in, cleaning up, 
and creating a structure where we can prove them wrong. And why do you think that this is the prevailing situation? I know that, Rachel, you had mentioned that partially it's because it gets handed over between different people and there's turnover and it just kind of gets messy. Are, are there other factors that contribute to, like, this is the way of life? One thought that I have is that it's really scary. It's scary to have to spend $33,000 a day in a Facebook ad account. Like, you're saying goodbye to 33 grand a day, and that's a million dollar run rate. And it's a lot of pressure to get it to like have a good, good outcome. And so if you lack an overarching philosophy, the only thing that you can do to like kind of try to guide yourself in how to spend that $33,000 every day is to kind of just look at like what has worked in the past and kind of riff on it. And if you just sort of like riff and riff and riff and riff, you know, a <laughs> hundred cycles later, all of a sudden you're running one ad against the hip hop interest group. And you're like, that's the only thing that works, you know? <laughs> and I think that that's just really common when you're an in-house team and you're like, we just were under the gun and everything else we've tried, like a lot of things failed. So we just are going to try to do the things that we think would work, but we don't realize that we've narrowed our vision to like a pretty, <laughs> pretty limited set of things. And we're too scared to like expand and to kind of do a reset and, and really try to take advantage of every possible thing we, we could be doing in a structured and organized way. I think a lot of it just comes down to, to being a little bit afraid to get outside the lane. Yeah, you know, and also it's kind of the Wild West. There's no institution that accredits you. There's no, you know, there are tons of schools of Facebook advertising. There's really no guarantee that the information you're getting when you go and look for resources on how to do this, there's no guarantee that they're of high quality. And, you know, I personally got lucky lucking in with some people who really knew what they were doing. And I don't know how people would otherwise be able to kind of attain the skill and sort of the, the thought and the philosophy around how to do it well without some kind of direct instruction from somebody who has good experience doing it. Okay, so let's talk about the philosophy that works for you both. Like, what is it? Why is it different? Why is it better? I'm interested to learn this. So let's jump in. Matt, did you know that our philosophy has a name? It, it does. I think I knew this, but I may have forgotten. <laughs> it does. Our, the name of our Facebook build philosophy is called granularity. Ooh. And we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about what is granularity and why do we do it and what really goes into it. And we, and we really hope that you can walk away from this episode with a sense of how you could implement a more granular approach in your own account. Like It would be awesome for us if you took what we're talking about and restructured your account in a granular methodology. So Kevin is the absolute master of granular building on Facebook, and I'm going to let him describe the ins and outs of how you actually do it. But before we get to that, I just wanted to kind of talk about the three things that I think granularity really gets you that you don't get in other types of build philosophies or systems. So number one, I mean, why do we build granularly? It's because we it drives the best outcome, period. We're here to drive outcomes. We're here to get the best cost per new user, the best cost per purchase. We're here to like grow the channel without increasing the cost per new customer required. And granularity over and over and over again is able to deliver that. But on top of that, a granular approach builds an enormous data footprint that you can utilize and analyze and optimize <laughs> for continued strong performance over time. So 
that whole phenomenon of just like, we don't know what to do. We're throwing spaghetti at the wall. We're unclear. It's like part of that is just like sort of a lack of data, coherent data, well-structured data that would inform what you should do next. And granularity really gives you like this incredibly robust data footprint. And finally, I think really most importantly, the biggest benefit of a granular build structure is that it actually creates operational levers for you to pull when your Facebook account invariably (laughs) goes off the rails. Advertising has inherent volatility in it. The auction and changes to the algorithm create, in some cases, daily volatility. You are constantly battling the law of the universe that says that like your costs will just go up over time. Things will atrophy over time. It's always the case, essentially, that like over the course of time, your performance will get worse. And so we feel like we are constantly battling against that trend, trying to pull every lever that we have to fight that trend and to keep performance sustained. And granularity gives you an enormous set of levers to fight that that you just don't have at all when you do a consolidated structure. If all of your spend is in a single campaign in, a, in your account, you have one lever. <laughs> if you have a granular build, you could have hundreds of levers. And so we find that it's the most pivotal part of it that enables us to be successful is actually like the manual lever pulling that we're able to do. And so with that, I would love to hand it over to Kevin and have him explain like, what does this granularity thing mean? What is it actually? What does it look like? How do we build it? And how do we operate it? Absolutely. Well, I think the first thing I'd love to talk about is what granularity is not. We're not talking about dialing down to just targeting 35-year-old waiters who like a certain type of bourbon. We do believe in campaign budget optimization. We do believe that Facebook offers quite a lot of value and has advanced machine learning when it comes to advertising to a large degree and that we should take advantage of those features. And so what we do mean is thinking of granularity, I mean, just the word implies what we're talking about. When you build out an account with a granular structure, there are a lot of pieces inside of the account. And what that translates to is a lot of different campaigns with a lot of different ad sets. And when Rachel is talking about having a lot of levers to pull, she means you can turn a lot of things off if they're lower performing and you can start to move your spend towards the pieces of your account that are performing well. And so I'd love to talk a little bit, Matt, if you don't mind, about what that really looks like in practice. And because I'm hoping that ideally, you know, someone who listens to this is going to be able to walk away with a little bit of a guide that they can take back to their own accounts. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and jump in. I'm, I'm sure some people are listening and, and thinking, huh, sounds like a lot of work or, I'm, you know, where do I start with this, right? You, you both mentioned earlier that you like go into accounts and kind of reimagine I would absolutely love to hand it over to you and you walk us through what that process looks like. So what Rachel and I mean by granularity is we, starting with a new client, we will analyze all of the audience inventories that are available to them. We will break them up into a hierarchy of value that we believe they will have based on things like recency, based on the revenue they produced in the past, if you're analyzing your customers, based on engagement they had on your site, and a number of other factors. And we will break those into segments and then create a campaign structure that reflects that hierarchy of value so that you can begin seeing where the performance lies once you launch all of these campaigns upon the world and you can allocate spend towards the pieces that are working the best. So 
I want to talk about two major camps when we're talking about analyzing an audience or analyzing a, a client's available audiences in the first place, because there's a demarcation between how you think about remarketing and how you think about prospecting. The first thing I'd love to talk about is remarketing. People frequently don't do it well. And there's some really, really immediate and easy ways to come in and improve your remarketing approach. When you're thinking about choosing a structure with you know, a, a remarketing campaign structure, I like to think of it basically through two lenses. One is you can target people by recency. And the second is you can target them by the level of engagement that they had with your site. So when we're creating a remarketing campaign structure, I will come in and I will create a campaign that targets a company's site visitors within the last three days. That'll be a campaign. The next thing I'll do is create a campaign that targets their site visitors in the last week. I will exclude all of the three-day visitors from that list. Next, I'll create a campaign that targets a company's, all of the company's site visitors in the last 30 days, and I'll exclude the visitors from the last week. And you can continue doing that you know, all the way out as far as Facebook will let you reach back, which is 180 days, continuing to just exclude by hierarchically. So your three-day site visitors are excluded from your seven-day visitors, etc. Within those campaigns, you need to think about your site visitors and you need to start thinking about the visitors who have indicated that they have a higher intention of converting. In a lot of cases with e-commerce, that is, you can look at people who added to cart and that might be a segment that you would want to pull out into its own ad set because people who added to cart in the last three days, they're just on the verge of converting. You want them to be in their own ad set. You want to be able to see how that segment is performing for you. Invariably, if you're an e-commerce site, you're going to find that they're driving a ton of the value. If you're not an e-commerce site, you will have a piece of your signup funnel that you will know is the higher value piece. So people that entered your signup funnel, people that clicked your call to action and hit your second landing page where they can really start the signup process for your product. You want to isolate those people. So you can segment those people out by URL, put them in their own ad set. In addition to that, you want to be targeting all the rest of your site visitors. So go ahead and add exclusions to your all site visitor ad sets that exclude those higher value pieces that I was just talking about. And that way you have sort of this hierarchy all the way through your campaigns and not only through all of your campaigns, but also through all of your ad sets so that the people who engaged with you more deeply are excluded from the people who who did not. And invariably, that's going to drive more value. Your all-site visitor list is going to be larger than the people who are in your sign-up funnel, but the people in the sign-up funnel or who added to a cart, if you're an e-commerce site, are going to be driving much better performance. So it's really important to break those pieces out and to go back through your list, your available audiences in that way to create that sort of hierarchical structure. Quick question. How much time am I spending doing this? Is this something that I'm going to sit down and expect to you know, get done in an hour? Or is this like a whole process for days? It's not a days long process. There's a lot of ways to do it really quickly. The Facebook ads manager, I don't know how being one of the hugest online advertising platforms on earth, how they don't have better performance inside of their ads manager. <laughs> but that's that is the only thing that really will slow you down. There's a lot of really excellent tricks for duplicating campaigns, duplicating ad sets. And you can even export things into a CSV file and manipulate things right there. If you're, you know, wanting to sort of walk on the wild side, there's a lot of good tools for doing that. Yeah, I think Kevin has many different times been actually blocked on Facebook 
for the system thinking that he was a robot <laughs> and being like, there's a bot in your account. It's duplicating things too quickly. So we frequently, we have methodologies for like doing this very, very quickly, sometimes so quickly that Facebook spam alerts get flagged on us. And then we get locked out of the account. We have to contact our client and get back in. But I think the power of what Kevin was talking about is when you have this sort of like cascading structure where you understand who is really the center of the bullseye of who is most likely to convert, who is most likely to kind of become your next new customer. And you have this series of cascading exclusions that are rippling out from that center. And you are actively feeding different budgets, essentially, to those different levels, depending on performance. What it actually allows you to do is feel confident that you are spending the right proportion of your budget against the highest value sets of people. And it teaches you what to expect in terms of value. It actually trains you. So you're like, every time we try to advertise against people who are beyond 30 days of our site visit, they just never convert or the conversion rate is so low and the costs are so high, it's just not worth doing. Then you're just like, we're not going to run that anymore. Or we're we're not going to run that for a while until we decide to bring it back and retest it. It's very common for us to sort of come in and see these like big dumb buckets of people being like, yeah, we just like sort of throw spend against like all everyone who ever has looked at our site as much as we can detect, plus all people who engage with us on social media, plus they kind of throw everything in one bucket. And it's like, you can't really learn what's working unless you break it out. And you can't really determine that your dollars are weighted towards the most efficient, highest value parts of your audience segment. And when you're really trying to do big, big performance, you know, gains in an account, you really need to make sure that like every dollar is going towards the highest value person that your next dollar is being used most efficiently. And big dumb buckets don't give you any sense of like, if your dollars are being used maximally efficiently or not. Yeah, there's also an extent to which just breaking something out into an ad set, it appears to me in my experience that that causes campaign budget optimization to focus on that specific unit more intensely than if it were just thrown into a you know one ad set where everybody was targeted and the machine learning was just sort of sorting people out for you. So that's part of the power you can kind of pull back by creating this sort of structure is you can force Facebook to test a, a segment. And if you've chosen your segments well, it will see performance and it will continue to spend into those segments. And another thing I wanted to talk about really quickly when you're when we're thinking about remarketing, I think a lot of people overspend into remarketing. And especially when you're breaking things down into smaller pieces, you need to be very cognizant of the frequency with which you're pushing your ads on your audience. Don't overspend. <laughs> don't overspend on, on your audiences. If you use this kind of approach, they're smaller. Keep the spend scaled according to this, their size. Correct. And I think actually we started with remarketing in this talk because it's like the most center of the bullseye, but it's usually like it has its place because there's a certain amount of volume there. But the majority of what granularity affords us is a vast amount of data and performance within prospecting. Like prospecting is really where you're going to drive the most value in an account. And obviously prospecting is brand new people have don't know your brand, haven't been on your site, have not been considering you. And we find that a granular approach is especially valuable in prospecting. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's a great point at which we can kind of pivot towards talking about prospecting. You have two different types of audience targets that you can target within prospecting if you're talking about the sort of larger camps One is lookalike audiences, and the other are the myriad interest and demographic targets that Facebook makes available to you based on people's interests and their online behavior. 
Invariably, I find that lookalike audiences are the first stop that one should make when you're thinking about creating a prospecting strategy. They just tend to drive the best value. It appears to be that way across the board for most, virtually all the clients I've worked for. Yeah. And I think it's important to sort of note what is a lookalike audience and what is the unique kind of technology that's underneath it, which lookalike audiences are based on seed audiences, essentially. So if you are a shoe company and you're like, we have 50,000 people who have bought our shoes and we had the Facebook pixel integrated the entire time our website has been alive, then you can go ahead and create a lookalike audience based on people who have bought your shoes in the past. And what Facebook allows you to do is create different densities of lookalike. So you would feed them this 50,000 list of shoe customers and a 1% lookalike audience of those people would be people that Facebook believes to be 99% similar to the 50,000 people who already bought your shoes. Now, when we say 99% similar, it's kind of like this arbitrary number that Facebook assigns, but it's like they basically look at the attributes associated with all 50,000 people they have in the seed audience, which like if you can imagine how much data Facebook has on each of us, not to mention 50,000 unique people. I mean, the actual number of attributes that it's analyzing is just absolutely enormous. And when it creates that lookalike audience that's 99% similar to those people, they are very, very, very similar and they behave in very similar ways. They have similar online shopping patterns. They have similar interests. Facebook gives you no visibility into who those people are. You cannot look inside your lookalike audience and be like, oh, look, you know, they like Nike and they like these other things. You won't know who's in them, but they almost always perform the best because they are so robustly created with sort of a machine learning approach of the seed audience. And Facebook actually allows you to build these at a 1% density, which is 99% similar, a 2% density, which is 98% similar, all the way up to a 10% density. And they actually come in larger audience sizes. And so when we work with a company, when we talk about evaluating every possible lookalike audience that they could be leveraging, we're not just talking about make a couple ad hoc lookalikes here or there. We will mine every single possible customer segment they have and then make a 1% to 10% lookalike audience. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 for every single source audience. And we will end up with this like massive list of audiences that we can incorporate into our structure depending on the size of the spend that they have. And it's very common for us to see a real haphazard approach with this in clients we walk into, whereas we take a very disciplined approach to making sure we evaluate all audiences and create all of them and have them at our disposal. So that's exactly right, Rachel. And when you're thinking about creating sources for your lookalike audiences, it's extremely important to consider again, that hierarchy of value that I keep referring back to. Within your list of customers, you have a top 10% that has produced the most, you know, the highest LTV, the most revenue, who has re-upped their subscription the most frequently and for the longest time. And you might want to create a lookalike audience. And in fact, I would recommend that you do out of just those people. And you might then look at sort of your top 25% and create a lookalike audience out of those people. You might want to create a lookalike audience out of people who opted into your service or product at a higher price point. You might want to create a female-only audience. You might want to create an audience that's based off of your younger customers. 
If you're an e-commerce site, of course, you've got the standards of purchase and you can create lookalike audiences off of your purchasers and people who added to cart, people who opted into a promotion, and then all of your site visitors, your social engagers, the people who viewed your video content on Facebook and your email list subscribers. So any number of those, and just, you know, you can continue to ideate on that and imagine additional segments that you could test. If you sort of think about it in brackets of value, you can create, again, a hierarchical list of source audience to test breaking into those 1% segments, those, you know, 1% to 2% segments, and those 2 to 3% segments. So I'm going to jump in here real quick. It sounds like a lot of work to go set up all this. And I imagine, I know I'm thinking this, like, am I really going to spend all the time setting up all these granular campaigns? Like, is this really worth it? Cause it sounds tedious. Is it worth it? seems like it probably is. <laughs> you know, what's worse. You know, what's more tedious than building a lot of different campaign and ad sets, like failing at your job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Losing your job. because You spent all that money. <laughs> Having terrible performance. I find that that's a worse headache than just being like duplicate, duplicate. And I think a question that we would more commonly get, I think beyond just like the pure tedium of campaign replication or ad set replication is, isn't this redundant? Won't you get auction overlap if you, you know, have a 1% lookalike of purchasers and a 2% and a 3% and also have a 1% of highest LTV purchasers and a 2% of highest LTV purchasers. Aren't you kind of telling Facebook to spend against the same people? Aren't there a lot of the same people in all of those different audiences? Aren't you basically competing against yourself in the auction? And I would be so curious about Kevin's response to that that inquiry because we hear that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much less of a concern of mine than ceding all the control to Facebook and letting the algorithm just shrink my reach over time and drive my CPMs higher, (laughs) which is invariably what happens. So, I mean, you do get auction overlap. You just will. People will fall into the same audience sets. And the way that I like to structure my lookalike campaigns is to take each source, give it its own campaign, and then create 10 ad sets for it. One for the zero to 1% people, one for the one to 2% people. So when you do that, you start to create this kind of web of campaigns and they absolutely, there is auction overlap there. But it's sort of like the learning feature, you know, on ad sets where it's like, you're in perpetual learning, your costs are going to be higher. All I can say is that in practice, this creating this highly granular structure and then divvying my budget between all of those campaigns, I drive lower costs consistently. And I just would recommend that anyone test it within their own their own accounts. It's you can do it. I don't find that auction overlap and sort of things being left in learning because their budgets are lower really creates, you know, so much of a performance impact. It's very much offset by the fact that I'm forcing Facebook again to look at these different audience segments and to reveal to me where where the value lies, at which point you can begin going in and optimizing. You can turn off certain ad sets. You can turn off certain campaigns if their performance is really so bad. And then over time, auction overlap diminishes. It doesn't go away by any means, but you are going to start spending into, you know, fewer than you might start with 20 campaigns and cut it down eventually to 15 or something like that. But auction overlap, it's so much less of a concern for me than just the bad performance that consolidation tends to drive. Yeah, that's really well said. It's like, if auction overlap was really a problem, then this would perform way worse than consolidation. But it turns out this performs way better. 
So <laughs> I think the proof is sort of in the pudding, but I will say, I think the point you made at the end, Kevin, around every granular build you do, you would expect to turn like a third of it off after like a week. So when we do a big new granular build for a client where we're looking at every possible audience segment that they could be advertising to, we're blowing all of those out into various flavors of lookalikes. We have a separate series of interest-based campaigns that are the obvious interests in Facebook or demographic behaviors that, that they should be looking at targeting. We will publish like a massive series of campaigns. They each have 10 ad sets inside. They each have a variety of ads inside. I actually do the ad creative for the clients that we work with. And so I'll make sure we have very divergent messages and different approaches of our ads to really see where the heat is in terms of what people respond to for these products. And we will launch this massive structure. And on day one, I mean, in some cases, we actually literally still get better performance on day one than their historic baseline, even though we've launched a very large structure and arguably potentially bloated structure that we are planning to hone down over time. In some cases, it actually performs better than their existing methodology on day one. In other cases, it's a little bit inflated for the first few days, but the algorithm like very quickly begins to optimize and seek out the portions of the campaigns that have the best performance and feed budget to them. And that's really where like letting Facebook push budgets via CBO and having Facebook choose within an, a campaign, which ad sets it's really going to feed budget to. That's the stuff we love letting Facebook handle. And then a week later, we have this really, really rich data set that's like, oh, okay, here's where all the spend flowed. Here's where the best value happened. Here's where the lowest CPAs are. Here's where the highest CPAs are. Here's the obvious stuff we should shut off. We should shut off like all of the ads that talked about this because those clearly aren't working. We should shut off any lookalike higher than 6% because none of them have performed well at a greater than 6% threshold. We should cancel all the interest campaigns because they're like 50% more costly than the lookalikes. And we can make those adjustments very quickly. And then we move into a really supercharged era of performance where we've like cut out, we've trimmed out all the fat and we're just driving the spend towards the best performing sections of the audience. And that's really what you want and that's what you hope would be happening if you put it in a consolidated structure. You'd love to believe like, oh, I'm just, I know that Facebook must just be spending my dollar like the most efficiently, but only until you really are piping the spend through a footprint where you can actually see the data of what the account is spending against these different audiences and what the true cost per new customer is to you. That's the only way you can have proof and sort of control over driving the spend towards the most efficient areas. And so what's also a really nice benefit of this type of building is that the big granular builds that we do, they actually last like a pretty long time. We may run our first structure for like two months before we need to do an architectural overhaul. So that gives us like a nice long runway of like continuing to accrue the data and continuing to go in every single day and kind of prune and adjust and shift budgets around and turn things off while sustaining really strong performance and not having the pain of that like cost increase that would normally be happening over time. Okay. So all of this structure stuff makes sense, right? You have your highest value, you break it out, you be as granular as you possibly can, because then you get all these learnings and all that. How do you make sure that your account doesn't wind up in a mess with, I presume, thousands of different campaigns in 
some scenarios? Like how, how do you just make sure it stays organized? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you don't wind up with thousands of campaigns. You can wind up with thousands of ads. So if you're thinking about creating a prospecting structure where you have identified 10 to 20 different possible lookalike sources and, you know, those become your campaigns, we definitely do deploy structures where we're running somewhere between 20 and 30 campaigns. And so within the campaign structure, I personally like to name things based on whether they're prospecting or they're remarketing. It makes it really easy to search for the difference and sort of quickly jump into one or the other. I like to label whether something is targeting inside of remarketing, if it's targeting all site visitors or it's targeting something else like social engagers, the number of days in the look back. So all site visitors, three days, for example. Sometimes we're only targeting women in certain campaigns or only men. If there's anything specific to the campaign about the audiences that are inside, it's good to include that inside of your campaign names in a systematic way that's searchable and organizable. I do like to indicate whether a campaign contains lookalike audiences or it contains interest or demographic audiences at a very high level. With the ad sets, I tend to just name them after the audiences that they contain. And I don't usually stack multiple audiences inside of a single ad set. So you wind up with these ad set names that reflect your audience names. And it makes it really easy to see right from the top where, you know, which audiences are driving the best value. And then the real key comes down to when you're naming your ads. I personally like to name all of my ads with the same name. Any given sort of combo of creative and copy, I will give a sort of unique name to that variation, but then I'll use that name throughout my campaigns. And so what that means is you can go into the Facebook reporting section later. You can sort of segment by your prospecting campaigns because you've labeled them as such. And then you can pull up your ad names and you can export the performance on every single ad, but then you can use things like pivot tables to sort of show you the aggregate performance on any given segment. It's really crucial that you're able to do that because once you've launched all of these campaigns, they go out, they start to ac accumulate data, you start to accumulate results, hopefully. You start to have a strat this sort of stratified group of ad sets that's producing different CPAs and different, you know, some of them are really cheap and some of them are expensive. And so within a day to three days, maybe four days max, you should be able to go in and start identifying the most egregious things and turning them off. So at the ad set level within your prospecting campaigns, you want to start turning off the worst 10% of things so that you can start to reallocate spend. You know, CBO will automatically start to emphasize the other ad sets that are performing better more. I don't like to just go in and hack off a ton of it all at once. It is good, I think, to do it in a sort of incremental fashion. Certainly at the campaign level, you'll see certain campaigns drive really inexpensive results. Start allocating more spend towards those campaigns and then take the spend away from the campaigns that are not doing as well. And if you have named all of your ads in this, the same way, if you're each creative and copy variation has the same name, you're able to export your prospecting ad results in aggregate, create pivot tables, find the ones that are just bombing, turn them off. <laughs> And then repeat that process every couple of days. Go back in, start turning things off, allocate more spend towards the campaigns that are doing better, turn off your worst performing ad sets. So it's an evolving process. And 
you know, at this point you'll be working on, you might be working on, and sometimes this is the case for us, thousands of ads and hundreds of ad sets, and you can start turning them off piece by piece. And you don't jip yourself out of so much of the possible reach that you might be jipping yourself out of if you're running with a more consolidated approach where Facebook is making all these moves. Makes sense. It seems like it is a really high initial effort to make this sort of system happen. And at the end of the day, you get so many benefits by taking that effort up front, right? You get the learnings of which audiences are going to perform the best. You get a foundation to build your ads upon. You get better CPCs. You, you get more control. It all seems to make quite a lot of sense. And, and you're seeing that in, in the results of the campaigns that you run and, and all the different clients. So thank you both so much for, for joining here today and talking through it. We really appreciate it. It was a pleasure, Matt. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Matt. Of course. And for all of you listening, if you have questions, feedback, whatever it might be, my email is mattadrift.com. If you liked this episode or other episodes that you've heard, would love a subscribe button on your favorite podcast app, as well as a review. I think that's all I got today. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.